Good morning. It's really good to be here this morning, um, just to be able to fellowship with you guys here this Sunday morning, and just to, just to realize that we are to live, uh, to be sent, right? Where God desires to use us to be an impact in the world, impact in the nations of the world. Um, as you heard a little bit, GSI is an organization that, that we are a part of. We work among the unreached, unengaged peoples of the world in, in places that are, that are very difficult to get to, very difficult to stay in, and, and we find ways to uh, live, in, live in and among the communities legitimately within a government's permission to find access to these areas, to share Christ in these places of the world. Um, we lived in Siberia, Russia. I went, we went, at the very beginning, went to Russia. Um, my wife was pregnant with our first baby, um, and such a great time to go, by the way, any time we want to travel overseas to a new place. Um, there, nothing can go wrong with that. And so as we went over there, uh, we saw our, our kids raised up among these communities, among the Buryat people, and God allowed us to see him do his miracle among the people there in Siberia, seeing churches established, seeing believers raised up, and to see fruit take place. One of the, one of the most unique parts of that time was we also saw a deaf churches raised up in uh, we, we hadn't anticipated it when we went out there, but we were able to see some deaf churches taking place. And um, just to talk about what it means to be cut off from the gospel of Jesus Christ, I was, we were in our house. We had been doing, we'd been living there for a number of years. We had learned sign, and we were working amongst the deaf there in this community. And um, we did a Bible study. We were going through, un- helping these guys understand who Christ is and getting them a picture of who God desires to use them and, and, and change their lives and see their lives change. And um, outside in the street was a young man who was on his way home. He was a deaf man. He was on his way home to kill himself. I mean, he had bought in poison. Um, it was actually a, a, an acid that was one of the most popular uses for killing yourself, and it was one of those painful ways to die. We would drink this poison. It would take him two to three days to die, and just agony. He was on his way home to do that because uh, one of the things that happened in Siberia was it was pretty cold where we lived, minus 40, minus 50, minus 60 degrees. Um, and super strong winds, and the only way to survive were good clothing and hats. They would wear these things called shapkas, these big fur hats. And uh, one of the biggest things to steal in that country was, were, were hats. As people walked down the street, um, they would run it behind you, they would grab a steel club, they'd grab the hat off your head and hit you in the back of the head, knock you out, and then take your hat. It was worth 15 to $20, which is a lot of money to them at the time. I mean, that had happened to him. For hearing people, for us, walking down the street, if you heard footsteps coming behind you fast, you'd just grab your hat. So they wouldn't take it off your head. Um, but they didn't hear that. And so this guy had just been hit. He had lost his hat and he was done with life. Just done with life. He'd been a deaf, cut off from his family, cut off from the community around him. And he was walking home, walking past my, my apartment. And outside of my apartment was this guy standing there who was another guy standing outside. And he said, where are you guys going? He goes, I'm going up to this study here. There's this guy here who speaks our language. And so they had a discussion out in the hallway and finally went, agreed to come to my apartment and he came in there and in this room we had a bunch of guys were sitting there and this guy's name is Radna, the guy with, who'd lost his hat and Ruslan was the guy who invited him to our apartment. And Radna came in, he sat down and he was angry, very angry. And as I was teaching about Jesus Christ, he finally jumped up, he says, if this is true about Jesus, how come we've never heard of him before? This is actually true. And people were trying to calm him down and they said, Radna, it's true. And he goes, well, how come we've never even heard about him? I can't believe you're listening to this. And one of the guys stood up and said, it's because they didn't want us to know. But this is true, and his message is for us. And that's what the gospel of Jesus Christ is. About the next day he went home, I thought he was going to kill himself, or he thought he was going to kill himself. He went home, he, I actually didn't know he was going to do that. He went home, and he sat there all night thinking about what was going on. And the next morning he came by and knocked on my apartment door at 6 in the morning and said, would you teach me the Bible? And so over the next six weeks, 
I'd be teaching him early in the morning before I'd go off to work. I'd be teaching him early in the mornings. And he came to my apartment about on the sixth week, and we, were, we had just gone to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he said to me, he says, I have a question for you. Um, why, when you listen to music, do you ever cry? And I said, um, not really. And, I said, and he says, well, but people do cry, right, with music. And I said, yeah, they do. And he says, why? He says, it's, I don't know, it's the words, the melody or something that hits you, reminds you of something that you've never heard before. And he says, I've never heard music. I've always wanted to hear music. Um, let me ask you another question. Um, when you ever see the sunrise, do you ever cry? And I said, no. I actually don't cry when I see the sunrise. And he said, this morning, I watched the sunrise, and it's the first time I watched the sunrise. He said, I heard music for the first time in my life. I actually realized that Jesus Christ died for me and gave me life. And I have new meaning, and I saw that sunrise, and I have a reason to live. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the same gospel that can impact students here on this campus and around the country. It's, it's the message of hope and life. And there are places in the world where people wanted to know about Jesus Christ, they couldn't, because nobody speaks their language or understands their culture. And that's what missions is all about. Um, it's, it's amazing for me to be here in this church, by the way. I, I'm just really privileged to be here. Um, I, I've, I shared this before, but someone could easily write a book about what God's doing here with this church's vision to send to the nations. This idea that the elders here in the leadership of this church have had the, have, God has actually placed on their heart to see this church being a sending church to the nations. I was in a conversation with a church in Toronto, Ontario. It was a church, a large church, uh, kind of a network of churches. This church is about 5,000 people, but then they have a series of churches that are daughter churches of theirs. And they were talking to me on a Zoom call about how to become a mobilizing church. And they were asking me, how do we become a mobilizing church? How can we begin to mobilize people? How can we do a better job of it? And I was starting to describe to them ways they could do that and some things that we could help them do. And they finally said, here's what we want to be. We want to be a church like the chapel in Baton Rouge. And this is in Toronto, Ontario. And I was like, how do you know about the church in Baton Rouge? And I said, hey, we're going to be there in a couple months. We'll actually be there. And he says, well, that's great. How did they do it? We want to be like that church. It's an amazing privilege for us to see what God's doing through the vision that God's given the elders of this church, to be ascending church, to be engaged in the thing that God cares about, to seeing Christ being proclaimed on the campus here, at the school here, seeing Christ proclaimed in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, seeing Christ proclaimed in the nation here in the United States, and then seeing Christ proclaimed around the world, not compromising on any aspect of it, seeing God use this church to reach the nations. In Acts chapter 1, we'll look at the book of Acts right now, Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 2, and then Acts 13 today. But in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now Jesus had just, we had just watched through this time period where Jesus had risen from the dead. He was empowering and discipling or encouraging his believers and disciples to continue on in their faith. These guys were going through a time of disarray and, and not knowing really what was going to be happening. And he's continuing on of what we would call like the fifth of the Great Commissions, the fifth part of it in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. We'd seen earlier where in Matthew where Jesus describes the, the, the disciples, their, their task is to take the gospel to all nations, all ethne. And the word he uses there is pantata ethne which is a Greek word which means all the nations, all the ethnic groups. That word ethnicities comes out of that word ethne. And Jesus is describing that. He's challenging his church to be a part of that. And in this passage here, we see three main things. 
First off, the one who empowers us is through the Holy Spirit. That's in the book of Acts right here. That's what we just read, that passage in Acts. And then we see the continuation of what does it mean when we are empowered with the Holy Spirit, fulfilling His purpose in Acts chapter 2. And then what what does this mean that God wants us to accomplish as His church? Again, it's only been a few mere weeks since Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, and everything is about to change for these believers, these disciples that are in this room. The book of Acts is literally this. It's the history of the world-changing God impacting the people of God, filled with the Spirit of God, engaged in the mission of God. Acts is a great book for us to look at to see what we as believers should be about, what we should be focused on as believers. In Siberia, we saw God create a church amongst a people group that had never heard. And that's one of the, one of the great privileges is to be in a nation, and a nation of people, almost two million of them, no believers, no one had ever heard about Jesus Christ, and then seeing a church established among this group, the first church that gets established. But there was actually a first church before the Buryat church was established. There was the first church that we see in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2 is that picture of what we see of how that actually comes into play when we see what happens when these disciples, empowered by the Holy Spirit, begin to communicate truth. Acts 1.8 is the pivotal verse for the book of Acts. It's a central focus of the work that Christ has for his church. So what happens when these disciples begin to obey? What happens when these disciples simply say, okay, God, we'll follow your plan for our lives? Well, there's three things that we'll talk through. That's the idea of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That takes place. The first part's the gospel. Then the gathering. And then the going. As these disciples are waiting, like Jesus asked them to do, they're waiting in this room, and they're, they're gathering together, they're fellowshipping together, they're spending time together, and then an unbelievable moment, moment takes place for them. These men and women in this room are filled with the Holy Spirit. Absolutely transformed by the Holy Spirit. And they become an unstoppable force that resonates till today. Acts 2, verse 5. Let's read here. It says, now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each one in his own native language, Parthians and Medes, Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Pergia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, we hear them telling in our own languages, our own tongues, the mighty works of God, and all were amazed and perplexed. Now stop right there, because what you're hearing here is, I'm reading to you, taking time to read to you, all of the names of these nations, all of these names of the people that were there. These are all people that had come to this moment of Pentecost. And the amazing thing was, as Peter is speaking, the Holy Spirit allows them to hear it in their own languages. Not just in the, in the language that they know of that everyone's speaking, but they are actually hearing the same message being preached in my language, in my language, in my language. It's a miracle that takes place. Now, maybe you've never heard of these people groups. Maybe you've never heard of all those names of places, and maybe some of those places don't even exist anymore. But the important fact here is they, they don't matter to us. It doesn't matter. They matter to God. God cares about these people. These tongues that are spoken here are known languages. They're here at a festival that takes place. This, this, this amazing event takes place at a place called Pentecost. They've traveled miles, distances, coming in to actually worship God and know him. This message that the apostle Peter preaches here is the first recorded sermon in the book of Acts. It's actually the first recorded sermon, really, for the church of Christ. Um, and it's the first proclamation by any of the disciples about God. 
And so Peter, what he's doing is he's actually taking what everybody's in the room listening to. They're all wondering this amazing thing. The marvelous works of God are being declared in their own languages. It's a picture of what the disciples of God desire to see this church taking place. It's a picture that they begin to get a picture of what Jesus meant when he talked about pantata ethne, to all languages, all nations. The gospel of God is a communicating God. Um, God desires to communicate to mankind. He desires to share with us. He desires to explain who he is and why he came. You see, God literally, Jesus, through Jesus, became flesh and lived among us. He actually showed us who he was. He communicated in our language and in our culture so that we could know him in a deeper way. But to communicate, we actually learn to speak. We need to learn to speak in the language of the people that we're going to. And that's hard. It's hard work, and that takes time. It takes a lot of time to learn a language, learn a culture, build a relationship with people, engage in the, at their, at, with them at, at the levels that they're at, and share with them. When I was in Siberia, um, I, I shared with you, we began working with the deaf people. Weirdly enough, when we went to Siberia, we had no idea we'd work with deaf. Um, I had never actually met a deaf person before. And when I got there, there was 130,000 deaf people in our republic. During the Soviet Union, um, the, the, anybody who was disabled would be taken from the main part of Moscow and sent out into orphanages all throughout the country. So if you were blind, you were in another republic, deaf came to our republic. And so I had, you couldn't help but running into these deaf kids that were everywhere around you. And, and we eventually saw, as I said, we saw these small groups of believers gathering together, becoming churches and seeing them get established. And one of the guys from one of our groups who had been in this orphanage really wanted me to go in and speak at this orphanage. And so finally he worked it out that I would go in and speak at this orphanage. And it was a Buddhist, uh, the Buddhist people were Tibetan Buddhists. This is a Tibetan Buddhist orphanage. And all the students were in there gathered together in this room and the teachers were in this room, they were teaching in the back. So I walked in the back of this room as the teacher was getting to make an announcement, and I thought they would use sign language. They didn't. They didn't actually speak sign. None of the teachers spoke sign. And so the lady would sit there with a microphone and a megaphone, and she'd take a megaphone and a microphone and sit up there and yell into this microphone and megaphone. And if you know anything about sign language, you know, or even deaf people, you know that they read lips. So here's a person covering her mouth and using this other microphone, and it was loud. I'm thinking to myself, if they weren't deaf before they came into this school, I know why they are deaf now. So, so as I was sitting in this room, it's pretty chaotic in this room, and I'm standing in the front of this. They, they eventually get, got me on stage, so I went up front. Nobody's looking at me. Nobody, ever, nobody could care that I'm in this room. I'm standing on the stage. I'm thinking, how do I even, like, well, you can't shout, right? You can't say, hey, I'm up here. So you just, I'm standing there, and I thought, okay, nobody cares that I'm here. I'm going to talk to these three girls in this front row. And I walked up to these three girls and I just started to speak to them. And like within a minute, seconds, this girl began to cry. And the whole room, like I didn't have to do anything. This whole room just suddenly got silent and they're all watching me. This is the first person, the first time this girl, these students had ever seen a hearing person speaking their language, communicating in a way that they could understand, understanding their culture. And right after that moment, I had the freedom to do anything I wanted. The teachers that were in the room, they walked out. They were, I guess they were upset. They walked out of there, and I could do whatever we wanted to. The gospel of Jesus Christ, when it's in our language, it impacts us. When we have people that are taking the time to walk up alongside of us and communicate truth, it changes lives. And that's the picture of what Jesus Christ did when he came to earth and lived among us. And it says here in Acts 2.21, and everyone who calls the name of the Lord will be saved. Results of this proclamation, 3,000 souls were added. These believers, 
began to understand this idea, as they began to share the truth of Jesus Christ, people began to be, get, get saved. People began to gather together. They began to want to know who Christ was. And now they're wondering, what do we do? What do we do? And these disciples, well, they really didn't have any model for this. They didn't know what to, okay, so what do we do now? And it says here in Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. It all came upon every soul, and the Lord added to those that were being saved. As we started our first church in Siberia among the Buryat people, not among the deaf, but among the Buryat people, a different language group and a different culture, we began to engage with them. One of the problems in our republic um, was one out of four people had tuberculosis. And so it was a massive epidemic taking place in those areas. And so we, we, were, we began uh, a, a ministry among the, the Buryat people, but it always seemed like we ended up in hospitals. We'd always be at TB hospitals. And our first church began in the middle, in a snowy field uh, out in front of this hospital, in TB hospital, where we were sitting around as a group, and we had seen seven guys, seven people, become believers in Jesus Christ. And we were gathering together, and they're like, okay, what next? What do we do next? And we began to look through this passage. As we were going through the book of Acts, we said, okay, well, what happened when these young disciples got saved? What did they do? What was the first thing they did? And we began to read this passage. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and prayer. And the numbers, it says here, and the Lord added to their numbers those that were being saved. God continued to grow the church. So we did that as a church. That was our first foundation. And we began to talk about this. And one of the first things I said is, you know, the fact that you guys are wanting to be a church, that you guys are wanting to be the church, the first church among the Bereat nation, it's a pretty amazing thing. And there are people around the world, churches around the world, praying for this moment at this time. Well, in our conversation up to that point, we had actually talked about what our strategy was as a group of seven young believers, what our strategy was going to be to reach Buryatia. And they were like talking about reaching the world as seven believers. And as I said that to them, I said, there's, there's churches around the world that are praying for you right now. They're like, there's more of us? I'm like, yeah. Like, there's lots more of us? I said, yeah, there's like millions of believers around the world. We're not the only ones. What amazed me about that moment was they were committing their lives as seven believers to reaching the world with this message of truth. It's an amazing picture, isn't it? And yet, what was more precious to them was the fact that there were churches around the world praying that these Berets would know who Jesus Christ is. And they finally saw that take place. God's words for the church is what began to draw this early church. And these guys began to devote themselves to the Word of God as this church began to grow in Acts. It says in Acts 17, they searched the Scriptures with purpose daily. Those, and, and they began to challenge things. These guys were hungry for the Word of God. But you know, there are places like the Berat nation that can't know about Jesus Christ because there's no scripture, there's no Bible, there's no way for them to get access to the Word of God. We have the access to the Word of God right now in the English language. We have it on our phones, we have it on our iPads, our computers, we have it on paper versions of these things. But there are places where there's no Bible, there's no church, they're completely cut off without the gospel of Jesus Christ. So unless somebody goes and tells them, they'll never know. Unless somebody takes this extraordinary effort of going and learning their language, learning their culture, engaging with them, they'll never hear about Jesus Christ. But that's the purpose of the church. So this early church then began to say, what do we do? And so Acts chapter 2 continues. Its founding basis as a church was off of this idea of Acts 1-8. This idea of being a witnessing and evangelizing and a growing church. Being a family of God. They were engaged in continuous evangelism as a church. It wasn't self-centered. It wasn't self-focused. They were desiring to read or reach the people around them and engage the people as they saw God use them for his glory. As we read through this book of Acts, we see one continuous theme emerging. God's plans for the nations. God desires to use us 
to reach the nations. And it begins to resound with one voice. A verse in Acts, or Romans chapter 10 says this, 10, 13, for everyone who calls the name of the Lord will be saved. How will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? When I was in China, we were, um, well, I was in a country anyways, we were, in, and we were working in this area, and I was, we were up in this area, it was high mountain areas where we were working in, and there was a sickness that was hitting our area. It was a sickness that was really killing a lot of people, pretty significantly killing children especially. And there was medicine for the sickness, but in the city areas where we were, in the towns where we were, there was access to this medicine. But in the mountain areas around this area, there was no access to this medicine. And so we and some doctors grabbed some backpacks, and we took our backpacks, and we were going to climb up these mountains. Now, I live like you guys do. Like, I'm from Sarasota, Florida, so we're at like seven-foot elevation. I think you're at minus three or something like that here. So like, we're at seven-foot, so we're really, really close to each other. That's, I'll tell you what, that 10 feet does not make a difference when you're at this altitude. So we're at 10,000 feet carrying these backpacks to 14,000 feet. And so we start to go, and we're like on this 10-year journey up this mountain kind of thing. And as we're trying to climb this mountain up this thing, and they gave me a backpack too, it's like 80 pounds, so we're going up this mountain. And as we're climbing this mountain, I see these guys going bouncing down the mountain. You know, we're like, whoa, these guys are fast. And they're like leaping on this mountain down there. And as they got closer, it was pretty humbling because they're like in their 80s. So like these guys are coming down the mountain, like, oh, you're really old. So you're coming down here and, and then they like, they just grab our backpacks off our back, hug us, grab our backpacks off our back, and they run up the mountains. Like again, and I'll tell you what, taking that 80 pound pack up did not make us go any faster anyway. <laughs> so, like, yeah, so we still get to the top of the hill. And by the time we get to the top of the mountain, um, these doctors start helping these guys in this community out and literally seeing lives being saved. And as I'm standing there, I'm like a bystander in this whole thing. And I'm just standing on the side kind of watching this. And these men that had run down like gazelles were sitting there showing me the bottoms of their feet. And they were barefoot. And their feet were bloody, gashed, completely gashed. And they had big smiles on their faces. Now, why would you be smiling if your feet were all gashed? Because you could care less about what happened to you physically. Your grandkids and your kids were saved because you brought that medicine to save them. And they had huge smiles on their faces. And that verse ends, Romans 10 ends this way right here. And how are they to preach unless they are sent? How beautiful are the feet of those that bring the good news of peace. When I saw that, those feet, I thought of that, that verse right there. How beautiful are the feet of those that bring good news of peace. You could care less what happens to your feet. You could care less what happens to you if you're bringing the saving message. And that's what this church was. It was urgent about the task. It was going to be a church that was going to expand to the nations. In Acts chapter 2, we begin to see that. Acts chapter 3, we see this church becoming an evangelizing church where they begin to take off into broadening out. They're hitting New Jerusalem, which, which we were, they were promised to do. They're hitting Jerusalem. Now they're hitting Judea. They're going to Samaria. There's one place left to the utter, end, to the utter ends of the earth, right? And then this happens in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 13, then, is a major event that happens to this church in Acts. It's this beginning that we see from Acts 1-8, the spark that's been ignited, is now changing the church in the book of Acts. It starts here in Acts 13, 1-4. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were... Worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said to them, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, who we would know later as Paul, for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off, Barnabas and Saul to Cyprus. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. 
It's now 15 years since that church was founded. 15 years since that small group began to gather together and say, what do we do? How do we work? And now, 15 years later, this church is a mature church. It's healthy. It's diverse. It's, it's got a vision. And it's starting to say this thing like right now, okay, we have leadership. We have leadership that's in our church. And what are we going to do as a church? What is the goal of our church? What did Jesus tell us to be about? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth, right? So what are we supposed to be about? Where do we go from here? What, what, what should we do? Who should we send? Who should we among our congregation send? Should it be now? Where should we be sending them to? Where's the neediest places that still exist? And what should we be involved in as a church? You know, what, what's amazing to me is your church is actually doing that right now. The elders and leaders of this church are doing that right now. That's what that chart is over there on the wall. It's a picture of saying, can we be senders to the nations? Can we send out 100 people from this church to the unreached, unengaged people groups? Can we send out 300 in ministry from our church? Can we find 1,000 senders to send these people to? It's an amazing picture. It's really, really, that picture right there is Romans 10. It's this idea of who should we send? It's an amazing picture, and that's what happened in this early church. The Bereats, the Bereat Church is asking the same questions right now. We have just now, the Bereat Church has just now sent their first missionary to Indonesia to translate the Bible among a people group in Indonesia that has never heard. That's an amazing thing from a church in the middle of Siberia that once thought it was completely cut off from the Gospels, now ascending church, sending people to Indonesia to be translators of a Bible in a language that has never heard. It's a picture, though, of the early church. It's a history of men and women through centuries have allowed us to be here as believers in Jesus Christ. They've suffered, they've endured, and triumphed so that we can sit here today, recipients of what they did for us, that we have the, 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 the joy to read his word and know who he is in a relationship that we have today. God, well, God is a Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit is a, is a missionary God. He's always been sending since he began talking. He's a, this, a church that's a spirit-filled church is a, is a missions church that sends people. These four verses in the book of Acts really significantly change history. And so one of the things I think is interesting is just to think what were major key moments in history? Acts 1-8, Acts 2, and Acts 13 are key moments in the history of mankind. They really are. It's almost impossible to minimize the importance of that verse of what takes place and those things that take place. Up to that point, there was no missionary organization established. There was no real church-sending vision taking place. There was no idea of unreached people groups and how that all works. There was no idea of what the role of the church is beyond what it is in Jerusalem and Judea is. At this point, this church is now saying, let's be strategic as a church as we send. Up to that point, Paul had not written any of the New Testament passages that we read about. He had not written any of his prison epistles, which we write about, we read now, we memorize, and we understand how God works and how God engages us. Up to that point, none of this stuff had happened. Half the New Testament books weren't even written at this point. So since Acts chapter 2, since this first church started, how are we doing as a church, as a whole? I don't mean your church. I mean the church as a whole of Jesus Christ, as believers of Jesus Christ. Well, I can tell you this, that as I shared before, because of the effort of people over the years, over the centuries, there are literally thousands of people today that have heard about Jesus Christ that know Jesus Christ, that are engaged in the ministry of Jesus Christ's task to reach the nations. These guys are a part of this great picture, this great, this great imagery we see in, in Revelation when all nations gather together around one throne. Yet, there are still places in the world where there's absolutely no access to the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's no translation of the Bible. There's no church. There's nobody even targeting some of these places in the world. 
there are still people groups in the world where no mission organization and no church has even talked about going to them yet. Why? It's 2021. You'd think we would be in all of these places, but the reality is we're not. These last groups that are existing out there, they're in some of the hardest to reach places in the world, some of the least reached places, some of the most challenging places. That's due to political issues, governments, social issues that are taking place, just even geographical issues that take place. But God has continued and always has been a God that's been seeking and sending men and women courageous enough to go in churches like this church is, is right now, is courageous enough to send people to these areas. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. God desires to see people from all ethnic groups, all nations, worshiping him. James Stewart writes this, the concern for world evangelism is not something tacked onto a man's personal Christianity, which he may take or leave as he chooses. It's rooted in the character of God who has come to us in Christ Jesus. Thus, it can never be the province of a few enthusiasts, a sideline or a specialty for those who happen to have a bent that way. It's a distinctive mark of being a Christian. You see, mission flows directly from the nature and purpose of God. When we were getting ready to go out of where we lived in Siberia, it was a hard time for us. We had been there for a long time, and the Lord was laying on our hearts to continue to stay there. We, we kind of felt like this would be kind of a great place, even though it sounds strange, but after a lot of years in Siberia, it can be totally home to you, and I didn't mind the cold anymore. I actually did, like, not like, that's not true. But I, I, I didn't mind it as much, and so you could just be there and endure it, right? And so all those things are fine. And then we, were, we realized, though, we were redundant. The churches were sending out and establishing new churches. They were planting more churches. The leaderships were raised up, and things were happening there. And my wife and I felt like the Lord was calling us to another people group in Siberia, um, in Altai. It's about 800 miles or 1,000 miles away from where we were living then. And we were thinking about moving to this other area. So we brought it to the church elders, and they sadly but also agreed with us that this is a time to go. So they said, hey, before you leave, we want to do a send-off for you. And I said, that'd be great. So I actually invited my pastor from my church in Florida to come over and, and be a part of that ceremony, or that time, anyways. And so we went up to this lake. We lived off of Lake Baikal. If you know anything about where you're at, Lake Baikal is the deepest lake, lake in the world. One-fourth of the world's fresh waters in that lake. It's a huge lake. And we were on a camp out there in this, 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 by, the, by the shore there. And um, we went out there with just the elders, just a group, all the elders of all the churches, not just the one church, but all the churches that had been gathered together. So we were with quite a few people, but it was still just the elders. And we were sitting on this lake. We're sitting by the side of this lake. And they said, hey, tonight, let's have a communion. Um, as we send you guys off, we'll do a, ser- a service with you guys. And, and they would like to do it at midnight. And um, I, you don't know my wife, but my wife was like, can we do it at 8, 8 o'clock? And, uh, and I was like, I don't think they're going to go for that. So they didn't go for it. So midnight, they said, so we kind of sat in our tents up until midnight that night. Then they came and got us and brought us out there. And we sat around with all the elders, and they were like, we were telling funny stories about when, they, when, we, when we couldn't speak the language. They were telling me funny stories about what they remember about us from, you know. And so I was translating all these things to the pastor, my pastor that was with us. And uh, as, as the evening went on, one of the guys stood up, one of the elders stood up and said, now that you're leaving, how will this continue? How will this ministry continue? And what will happen to us? And I was like, first off, I thought, we've been talking about this for two years. And I'm thinking, wow, I didn't expect that. And I didn't even translate it to the pastor. I'm like, I want to, like, you were a horrible missionary. Or something like that. So I was like, so I was like, uh, I was like, I'm not gonna. So I started to think of a way to answer him. I'm like, well, you know, our role is like, and he's like, it was rhetorical, dummy. So I'm like, oh. 
So don't answer the question. So he, and one guy grabbed this torch thing or a big stick and he picked it up and he wrapped cloth around it, put it in the fire and he says, I'll go, I'll take it. And he just ran down the beach. And I was like, oh, wow, that's a pretty cool picture. And he ran and he put it into a pit that I didn't even know was there and the fire lit up and it was our first church uh, that, that we had seen planted. And then a guy yelled out from that one, I'll go, picked it up and he ran down in the second church. And it had gotten to the point where there were churches that, that we had, really hadn't had any impact on, where people were now gathered around because of the, the history of what had happened. And that night, we ended up just spending the night of fellowship with all these believers, just down the, down the way it goes there. I'll, I'll just say this. Going to Berea at the very beginning was one of the darkest places I've ever been to. Um, there was no hope. Alcoholism is rampant. There's no way people can even find work or live or survive. It's one of the darkest places. Tibetan Buddhism does, offers you no hope. And it's just, it's just, a, just a, a life of despair and grief. Suicide's the number one thing that happens to people between the ages of, of 17 and 24 years old of men. A massive amount of suicides. You would just see it happening all the time. And the ceremonies were just atrocious to listen to. And to watch this take place. To watch what happens when the power of God, through the Holy Spirit, impact people's lives. One of the things we sit back and think, you know, we, we literally at times wanted to leave because it wasn't fun all the time to be in that place. We didn't always like it there. And there were times we felt like we should go. And yet, if we had left, we would have never seen God do a miracle. I really believe this to my very heart, that if we would have left, he'd have sent somebody else there to watch this miracle take place. That's the God that I serve. He desires to see these nations reached. He desires to use us to be his conduit to do it. He desires to use his church to be the sender. That's the beauty of what God does. It's a privilege to be here this morning with you guys, to be at a church that desires to send Thank you for your willingness to send to some of the hardest places in the world. And thank you for being a church and members of a church that are willing to partner with those that are being sent. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for just the honor and the privilege we have to serve a God that's risen, that's alive, and desires to use us for his glory, for his purposes. Father, I just pray right now for those nations in the world that have yet to hear about Jesus Christ. God, I just pray that those that are already working in these areas, even from this church, um, that are working among ownership groups right now, Father, would have the strength and the courage and the tenacity to continue forward and pushing forward. Father, we just thank you for this church with this vision and that it's courageous enough to dream this amazing dream to reach the nations. We thank you and we praise you for this time. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Hold on, Greg. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. It's great. It's great to have him here again. Um, I'm filled with many thoughts. Um, one is to be um, to be ascending church. You have to be a church that's full of life, uh, the life of Christ um, that overflows, and then that's what we desire uh, to be. Uh, and so I want to pray for Greg and thank him uh, publicly for his service. Uh, but one of the things that happens in authentic community, biblical community, gospel community, is the honor that we are to regularly bestow on one another. It says this in Romans chapter 12, verse 10. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. So I want to honor you publicly and thank you for your service to, to the kingdom of God. It's just beautiful to watch. 
People like Greg ask me, ask Steve, how is it that the chapel gets to this place on the shoulders of others? So I want to honor Danny and Francis Kennison. You're a very big part of this story. So would you stand up, please? Missionaries for 30 years with MCWA. Yeah. Praise God. I understand. I understand. They, they don't like that. They want all the attention to God. But the scriptures tell us to honor these folks. So in, in 89, they left out of here and um, gave a chunk of their life there. But really, it, it goes back to some folks that moved here from Texas with a global mindset, not just a, not just a Baton Rouge mindset. And one of the things you'll hear in response to this is to, to, hey, how can you serve the internationals that are in our midst? They come to us from around the world. Our international ministry, similarly, like some of our global ministry, is known in other parts of the country. I have nothing to do with any of this. It all predates me. And so I want to honor Mary Tab, who's with us today. Please, Mary. It's only appropriate. It's only appropriate. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, Mary is our founding pastor's wife, um, and it's just, it, it really is appropriate to honor those that go before us, to speak honor, and, and we need it. We need to be honored for, for things, and I pray that it's a growing uh, trait in, in our church. So as I pray for Greg, we will continue our morning. Lord, thank you so much for Greg and Julianne, Julianne, and I ask, Lord, that you uh, continue to give him wisdom, continue to use his story, continue to flood his memory with the grace and the power of the Holy Spirit, that he might share it in ways that are compelling to folks like us. Lord Jesus, we love you and we thank you that we can gather in your name, praising you and worshiping you. And so we lift him up to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.